0: It is so nice to wake up and feel like it actually is fall outside. Um, And it looked like the smoke that we saw yesterday is kind of at least blown away for a little bit. So it's a great day to to be in the house of the Lord. It's just frankly, it's just a great day to be alive because truly believe that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And I'm so excited that we could gather here today or if you're joining us online, that you are here today to worship. I want to read just a few verses out of Psalm chapter excuse me, Isaiah chapter sixty one. It's the first four verses. You probably will recognize these verses as quoted by Jesus in the New Testament. Isaiah writes, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to all to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning and the garment of praise instead of faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. I'm excited about being in the Lord's house today because the Lord is the one who binds up the brokenhearted. He sets the captives free. And he is the, the God who rebuilds. And isn't it exciting that even though sometimes you feel like your, your faith may be in the acorn stage, of life, that God is in the process of building us into oaks of righteousness. Long standing faith built on the solid rock of a wonderful savior. And that's the one that we come to worship. We come to praise and we're so excited about that. We truly believe that he is our anchor of hope in any and every circumstance. And so it's with that great confidence that as we begin our Our service, we can take time to pray to the God who sees all, knows all, and is above all able to do all things. Let me just give you a quick update on on Tina Bradley. Um, Tina was admitted to the the hospital after having a mild heart attack, and they were able to do a procedure and install a a stent to repair a, a blockage that she had. So if all goes well, she'll be going home today. So just pray for for Tina for recovery. The Lord has been faithful so far, just to miraculous work he's done in her life to this point that he'll see her through this and for Glenn. And if you are able to and want to help provide meals to help them along the way during this time, um, let us know. You can let the church office know. You can let Glenn know or you can just give Glenn a call and say, hey, Glenn, I'm coming by and I'm going to bring you some food. And I'm sure that would be greatly appreciated. But thanks for your prayers for them. But we do want to take a moment to pause and to pray um, for the things going on, the the political situation in our country, the fires that are that are burning, the virus that is still present, the sickness, the hurting, the pain, the heartache that people endure. And there's no better place to take those things into the Lord. So will you join me this morning as we pray? Father, we are grateful to gather together in your name, and we are in your place, God, that just like your word says, at any place that you meet together with your people is holy ground. And so we thank you that this spot, even though there's nothing special about the building, Lord, that your presence is here. And so we believe that we are on holy ground this morning. And so we ask that you would guide our hearts, our minds, that the attitude of our hearts, that we would come before you with humility, we would come before you with brokenness and neediness to receive what we need, the mercy and the grace we need. And we look to you, God, because you are our only hope. When we read these this passage in Isaiah, we see that you are the one that ministers to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the prisoner. That you are the one that provides freedom and deliverance, encouragement and strength and life and salvation. And so we come to you. Lord, we we pray for those in our our church family, those that are sick, that are under the weather, those that may be hurting, that have a physical need. And we trust you as the healer and the provider to minister to those needs. For the folks that are are traveling out and about, that are on the road, we thank you that you are the guidance and the protector for them. Lord, we rejoice in the successful procedure for our sister Tina. We thank you for the miracle of of life that you have, have given her. And Lord, we do pray for her strengthening and for her recovery, not just from this process from this procedure but also just for her heart and for her mind, all over healing and Lord we we do pray that you would help us to see that all good things come from you, God in the midst of our circumstances in the midst of our pain and our heartache, help us to come to you to see that you are the source of everything that we need Lord there's fires that are burning in the west, and there's a virus that's still um, around our country and around our world. And Lord, we commit those things to you. God, you created all things, you know all things, and so we look to you and say, God, you are our defender, you are our protector, you're our help. Lord, help us to lift our eyes to the heavens and see that our help comes from you. And as we're in the middle of September and just a little over a month away from our upcoming elections, Lord, we we need your wisdom We need your aid and your assistance, but God, most of all, we need your presence. We need you to bring revival to churches and to congregations, to individuals. And Lord, this morning in this place, I pray that you would start individual revivals in our hearts. That we would see you for who you are. We would see ourselves for who we are. That you are are worthy and that we are needy and that we would come to you and receive the strength that we need the healing we need, the forgiveness, the redemption that is in you. And Lord, you would revive our church. You would revive congregations all over our community and our country. And that we would see people on fire for Jesus and unashamed. And Lord, in our country, Lord, what's needed more than a political party is your presence. And Lord, we do pray for spiritual awakening. Lord, we see the signs of the times. We see storms, we see natural disasters, we see diseases, we see warring and fighting, we see anger, we see frustration, or we see all the effects of sin. And Lord, we ask you, Lord, will you not come, Lord, to rain down your presence, Lord, that there would be a harvest of salvation. And Lord, we we don't ask that you make America great again. Lord, we ask that you would help America to see the greatness of your name and the greatness of your presence. And that you would send revival and awakening. That we would not depend on men or horses, but we would put our trust in the name of the Lord our God. And this morning, in this place, the ones that are gathered here, the ones that are online, we put our trust in the name of the Lord our God. So help us to hear your voice. Help our hearts to be turned toward you. Help us to show our affection and our love, our devotion to you in the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray. And Lord, help our hearts and our ears to hear you, that we could walk out of this place this morning without a doubt knowing that we have experienced you. We trust you to do this because that's the kind of God you are. And so we come before you this morning with anticipation, and excitement. Lord, help us to experience you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: To all the fear of the we're singing the truth and nothing is impossible with you Nothing is impossible with you. So we had a bit of technical difficulties. Sorry for that. Um, as we sing this next song, this is going to be a song that we're learning as a congregation, but we just wanted to sing it over you again like Scott did last week. It's called Nothing But Good. And just God just put this song in my heart because in this season where it's news, <laughs> it's kind of bad news everywhere. It's just this um, what's rising up in me is this choice to fix my eyes on Jesus and receive the good Um, That he's given us in Christ. So we're going to sing this. And you guys can join us on the choruses. But we just want to sing this over the church this morning. I remember. And broken, you made me hope. Oh, I once was an orphan till you brought. I <laughs> could is so sweet. Christ, Christ in Jesus. Christ in
0: wonderful declaration of truth to say that the great I am is the one that is holding on to us. Uh, before we, we get started, I want you to, to do something. Um, just look around and and kind of take in the folks around you and and find somebody around you, maybe you left or right or behind you, and just want you to, to make a commitment right now to pray for that person this morning, just that the Lord would Would speak to them and that they would be able to hear clearly and then trust someone's praying for you because we need that, that help because we are, we're talking about something, we're continuing from last week, just the, the ongoing, um, spiritual battle that goes on around us. And one of the greatest ways that, um, we can be taken away from the truth is just by distractions. And so just, just quickly ask the Lord just to help us to remove, um, distractions and help us to hear His voice. Very clearly. And um, I don't think I can make my microphone make the the noise that um, Christina's did. Um, However, that is a a very effective way to wake people up. And and we may need that in a little bit um, as we continue on. But I I wanted to just kind of tell you just something that's going on. For about the past two and a half months, um, we've had a, a group of individuals from our church meeting together there's there's seven of us and we are we are working through a discovery process to to see what making disciples looks like specifically for our church here at cross timber what does it look like for for cross timber baptist church to live out the great commission and to make disciples and one of the exercises we did very early on is i told this story and i'll tell it briefly about um, a pumpkin farmer and this pumpkin farmer was walking through his field one day and he noticed that there was a a mason jar. And so he picked up the mason jar and just casually walked up and stuck the mason jar over the top of one of the blooms on the pumpkin plant. He went about his way. He came back during the harvest time to notice that all the other pumpkins were reached full size, but yet this one pumpkin that was underneath the mason jar had filled the jar completely and had only expanded to the limits of the jar. So it only got as big as the jar would let it. And so we asked the question, one of the starting questions, you know, what what's the pumpkin jar that's holding us back as a church and what would it look like if that pumpkin bar, pumpkin jar got smashed? And here are a couple of the words that came out. Freedom, deliverance, just excitement that we would be freed up to all the potential that God has for us. And so we're going through this process, and I just appreciate you to continue to pray for us. Um, It's um, Michelle, um, Glenna, Curtis, Derek, um, Christina, Deborah, my wife, and myself. I'm working through the process, but it's very exciting. But we started looking at what would happen if the barriers were gone. And so as we, we thought about that, and I read in Isaiah 61 earlier, I started thinking about what would happen if, the walls that are built up or the word that we're going to use in a little bit strongholds in our life are begin begin to be torn down. Now, like every great young boy, I grew up enjoying to build things only later to tear them down, to destroy them. And sometimes, you know, you would have those things where, you know, your your cousins would build a fort and half cousins would build a fort. The other half, maybe this was just my family um, and we would see, you know, how we could destroy each other's forts. Well, we're going to talk about tearing things down in a good way to bring about freedom. Now, last week, we talked about how our victory is closely connected to our relationship with Jesus. And we saw how Joshua met the commander of the army of the Lord there right before Jericho, that there in the Old Testament, Jesus shows up and he is going to give Joshua the battle plans for victory. And in a couple of weeks, we'll see that those battle plans are going to be pretty interesting that they don't involve weapons because the battle is not theirs to fight. The Lord will fight for them. But today we're going to turn more towards something that I mentioned last week, and that is looking at what it means to take back ground in our life. Hopefully we'll see at the end of this that Christians, believers, followers of Jesus experience victory when we take back ground that we have surrendered. So if you have a Bible, Or if you want to just look at the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I just have three verses 3 through 5 we're going to look at today. But I want to begin in verse 1 to help us to kind of build in the context. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Paul, writing to Corinth, says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion, Raise against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Lord, we just ask you to help us to hear clearly the truth of your word this morning. Help us to be free from distractions, help our hearts and our minds to be focused on you. And we look forward to what you want to show us and teach us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. So let me just say it again. The the idea that we're thinking about here is that Christians can experience victory when we begin to take back ground that we have surrendered. And so we'll unpack that as we move along. But let me just kind of set the stage of the verses. Paul is being accused. And Paul is being accused of being very bold and courageous when he's at a distance, but more or less weak when he's in person. It's kind of like the... um the dog that is barking behind the fence. That, you know, while they're safe behind the fence, they bark very loudly. But when you get up close, they wind up, you know, not being very bold at all. And so they're, they're making this false accusation against Paul. But what his accusers really didn't understand is that the true spiritual power that Paul was displaying, that meekness and gentleness, which was perfectly modeled in Christ, was the right way. And so if they were saying Paul was weak, then really they were saying Jesus was weak as well. And so Paul responds to these accusers. And he he reminds them, lets them know that they're looking at things from a worldly, fleshly perspective. That there's a battle going on in the Christian life, and that's a spiritual battle, it's not physical. And you really can't fight a spiritual battle with physical, well, weapons. And what it does is this helps us to see that right here today that there still is a battle that goes on around us all the time. And it's a spiritual battle and it requires us to use our spiritual weapons. And that God has given us everything that we need to have victory in the Christian life, specifically this morning, victory over something called strongholds. And so the first thing we need to see, and he alludes to it in verse Three is that we are in a spiritual battle. He says it here in Corinthians. He says it in Ephesians as well. You know, we don't battle against flesh and blood. In verse 3 here, he says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to our flesh. And so he, he states something that should be obvious, that we live in a physical body. I mean, you can look and see that you have arms and legs and that you have a body every every one of us lives in a physical body the normal human life your flesh and bone you eat you drink you breathe you walk you have the ability to enjoy the pleasures of life you have the ability because you have a body to experience pain you live in a physical body that doesn't go on forever A physical body that eventually things will begin to not work like they used to. And every person is born, they live, and they will eventually die. And Paul says we walk in the flesh. We live in the flesh, a human life. But while we live in a human life, there's an ongoing war around us. But it's not a physical war. It's not soldiers and guns, tanks and planes. It's a war against the forces of good and the forces of evil. It's a war that never stops. It's a war that is truth against lie, righteousness against unrighteousness. It's a war where followers of Jesus can never for a moment let their guard down. They always have to be ready to fight. It's never a matter of if the battle will come, but it's a matter of the battle is here. It's a battle we can't escape from. And the battle, the warfare of the battle, is spiritual, not physical. So we're not fighting against people, even though those battles do happen on earth. And on the one side you have God, His plans, His purposes, and His promises, which... The Bible is very clear about those will not be thwarted. There's nothing that can stop. That's the winning side. But you have the other side, which opposes it in every way. That's Satan and all his forces, the world, and even our own flesh. And this war takes place in the heavenly realm, so we don't always see what's going on. But we do see the effects of the war in our physical world. And so it's not fought with conventional weapons; it's fought with spiritual weapons. So you fight a physical battle with physical weapons; you fight a spiritual battle with spiritual weapons. Somebody said one time, and I think it's probably the punchline of a joke. You know, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight; you don't bring spiritual you don't bring physical weapons to a spiritual fight. Spiritual weapons are the right tool that we need to do the job. And so there's never, ever a time in life we can win a spiritual war with our physical tools. Well, why? First of all, we're not smart enough. You know, we think we're smart, but we're really not smart enough. We don't have the knowledge and the intellect to win a spiritual war. Second, we're we're not powerful enough. We don't have enough power to overcome the forces of evil that are around us. And then thirdly, we're not good enough. There's enough evil in our own hearts by our flesh that we won't win a spiritual war. But thanks be to God that there is one who is smart enough that's all-knowing, there is one that is powerful enough, he's all-powerful, and he is ultimately good above all good that fights our battle for us. And our victory depends on Him and on choosing and using the right weaponry. If you look at verse 4, he says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So what weapons do you and I have access to? Well, we have a Bible that has been written and preserved, so we have the weapon of God's Word. When we look at Ephesians, we'll see that he calls it the sword of the Spirit. Hebrews says it's sharper than a double-edged sword. We have God's armor fitted to, from head to toe with the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. From the helmet of righteousness to the, the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth on our feet, the preparation of the gospel of peace, a shield of faith to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and the sword of the spirit so that we can stand firm in the battle against the enemy. We have prayer. We have the ability to communicate with God, to hear His voice, to declare His truth. And we have, if we have Jesus in us, his power. It's his presence in us. And these weapons, Paul says, have the divine power to destroy or to pull down strongholds. Now, the word there is a military term that means to pull down the walls. So ancient warfare, we'll see when we get back to Joshua in a couple of weeks, You have two armies. You have an army that is in a fortified city. So they're inside the city. They have walls and they are protected. And they just dare people to come and try to come to their walls. You know, you can't beat our walls. Our walls are thicker than yours. Our walls are taller than yours. Our walls are stronger than yours. And so the opposing army, their job, the first thing they have to do if they're going to When against the other side is to either pull down the walls or to break through the gates. And so it's the idea of reaching the city walls in order to take a city. And these spiritual weapons have the ability to pull down, tear down, destroy strongholds. If you think about that description that we began to get of the city of Jericho when the spies went in and visited Rahab... And that place sounded like it was impenetrable. There would be no way in. It was there was, a, there was a double wall. There was a wall and then another wall. There would be nowhere for them to conquer. Or would there be? I think we'll find out that the walls come tumbling down. And in our life, when we see things in our life, we think there's no way they can be different. There's no way it'll ever change. Here's the good news. God's weapons are mighty enough to pull down any wall, any fortress, any stronghold. And we have to remember at every moment in Christ we fight from a position of victory. We're on the winning side. So we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. And in Christ we're his we're God's children. We have access to his power. We're on the winning side and we're able to walk in victory. So don't be deceived today. Don't see yourself as permanently defeated. Don't see yourself as someone that it's too late for. Because the Bible is clear in Christ, we are more than conquerors. And in Christ, strongholds can be destroyed. So, what exactly is a stronghold? Again, like Paul likes to do, it's a word that's used infrequently the word stronghold. It means a fortress. It's something with thick, high walls that there's no way to get inside. And he's using it as a metaphor to stand for spiritual strongholds. I want to share with you two definitions. One is written by a man named Ed Silvoso. And he describes it this way. It's a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes me to accept as unchangeable something that we know is contrary to the will of God. So that gives us a little bit of a shade, and it's on the screen there. The second one is by another pastor, Mark Bubeck. It's a believed lie. We have allowed to become reality to us and hold us in bondage to sin. It's a lie that has darkened our mind to the truth of Christ. So it's something that we see in our life. that we It's a lie that we believe that makes us think that for some reason it's unchangeable. It will always be there. It will always hold us in bondage. And like the other definition says, it darkens our mind to the truth. It's something that we so believe that we can't even see the truth of what God said. And a stronghold gives the enemy permission... To operate in your life. So we'll go back just for a second to help us. If you think about the land, the promised land, Joshua, the people are told to go in and take possession of the land, but they know if they're going to do that. First of all, they have to take out all of these little city states. Jericho is the first one walled city in the middle. So the promised land is what God has given them. But inside there are these pockets of resistance, these Territories that are not going to go down without a fight. And in these things, we can see a picture in our life that in our life, even though we belong to Christ, even though we are Christians, there are pockets of resistance in our life. Our flesh has chosen to believe a lie or has taken up something and, and continued to do it over and over again to where it, it puts us in a position of Bondage, And the enemy uses those things, the devil uses those things to cause pain, problems in our lives. But they require our cooperation. You see, the enemy can't take ground without first us giving our permission. So think of it this way. Imagine, you know, you have a property and you post a no trespassing sign that means nobody is allowed in but then you start making some exceptions well it really is no trespassing but that really doesn't apply to you or you can come in you know it won't hurt it says no trespassing but come on in you know imagine yourself you're the guard of the of the property you know you're the you're the security guard you know i know it says no trespassing but come on in it won't hurt and so there's permission to to enter and once inside the property, because you've given that agreement, it's almost like handing them a building permit and saying you can just do what you want. And a stronghold begins to build a fortress with our permission, and it's determined to stay at all cost. And what strongholds wind up doing is keeping you, you trapped, and you're trapped within a lie. You see, the enemy uses lies and deceptions. He's he's crafty. He likes to exploit our weaknesses. He wants us to believe and to do what is contrary to what God's plan and purpose is for our life. And they keep us trapped because here's the lie: the devil wants you to think that once you get caught up in some sin or some activity, there's no way out. There's no way that you'll ever escape. And some of the things people begin to believe, we begin to believe, is that God won't forgive you. Or I'll I'll always be like this. It's just the way I am. Or despairingly, I can't control this. Or maybe even, it's really not that big of a deal. And those strongholds will stand as long as we believe the lie. It's a fortress that's made out of falsehoods but truth can bring it down like a house of cards and those strongholds are built over time and they start with a a foothold now if you have a bible in ephesians chapter 4 26 and 27 we see this word foothold but it's a spot or a place a starting point you know if you were climbing a tree You'd be looking for a lower limb or maybe a knob where you could raise your foot up. And I don't even know if I would want to climb a tree these days. But you, you put your foot there and you can grab onto and you can climb. Or if you're climbing a rock or a mountain, a place you can just put your, your foot to get started. In the battle, you're, you're looking to develop a foothold, a, a beachhead, a place to, to launch further attack. And so a foothold... In the Bible is how the door is opened up for the enemy to begin to work. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gives us an example. Verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now that word opportunity in some translations is the word foothold. And that's what I was just talking about. And here the example is, is, is if you let anger linger. That, that anger will turn into bitterness. And that bitterness becomes an opportunity or a foothold for a stronghold to be built. We can see that so often in our society. We're such an angry people. And you probably know somebody in your family, and it, honestly, it might be you, that says, I'll never forgive that person for what they did to me. I uh, hope they get what they deserve. And unforgiveness, oh, it's it's bitter. It causes difficulty. It allows us to not re- it puts us in a place we can't receive God's forgiveness. But that's just an example of of a stronghold. Cuz there's many other ways that we we leave the door wide open for the enemy to come in and begin to work. And it includes both sins that we commit and it includes sins that other people have committed against us. So, sometimes we're the perpetrator and sometimes we're the victim, but the result winds up being a stronghold. Rebellion. Not going to do that. No way. And you see a rebellious child who disrespects authority grow up and do the same toward God, that they rebel against God like they rebel against anything else. Oh, and then there's pride. That's not for me. I've got this all figured out. I don't need that. I can take care of myself. While we don't talk about it as much in these days as we did not too long ago, there's also involvement in, in occult activity. Dealing in those areas of darkness. There's also those generational sin patterns. Things that granddad did that you saw in dad that may be present in your life or maybe grandmother to mother to you. And then there's also just habitual sin. Just letting something linger. It's not that big a deal. And then over time it grows. Any of these things and other things can give the devil a place to start building a stronghold. You see, a foothold is a lot like a seed for a weed. It blows around, it gets carried around by an animal, and it falls into place. And if it stays in place, it eventually will start to grow. If it's not recognized and uprooted, then it will grow larger, and the roots will go deeper, and it will eventually produce more weeds. You see, a stronghold is where that seed sprouts and takes root. And as that root grows deeper and deeper, there's more and more control, it becomes more and more difficult to uproot. And at best what we do in our lives is just chop it down, but it grows back. I've got a tree in my my fence that it just drives me nuts. But the reason it drives me nuts is because I haven't taken time to deal with the root. It's a cottonwood tree and it just loves me to cut it because I think it grows twice as fast every time I cut it. But what it needs is for me to dig out the root. And you see, sin in my life and in your life that's left unchecked, unrepented of, is a root. It's a, it's a place that, the, it's not a question, will Satan exploit it? No, it's a truth that it will be exploited. It's not going to go away. And it has to be destroyed if we want to experience victory, advancement in life. The writer of Proverbs knew this. Proverbs 5.22 An evil man is held captive by his own sins. And then listen to how he describes it in the New Living Translation. They are ropes that catch and hold him. But when victory comes, here's what happens. Ropes are cut. Chains are broken. Walls are torn down. Lies begin to be replaced with the truth. And captives are are set free. Because here's the truth. God has given us all that we need to have victory over strongholds. Verse 5 helps describe this for us. What it looks like to destroy strongholds, to take thoughts captive, and to be obedient to Christ. Listen to verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Some translations say take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. At the very heart, we're dealing with a battle for truth. What's right? What's wrong? It started in the garden when the serpent questioned God's word. And there was a lie, a twisting, a bending of the truth. And so if we want to begin to destroy strongholds, we have to learn to recognize the lie. We have to repent from the sin and then we renounce that place that you have given it in your life. Now, if you didn't get all those down, don't worry. We're going to walk through this in a minute as we close. And so we destroy the stronghold, but then we have to build something in its place. We have to build on the truth. And so we're getting rid of the lie and we're replacing it with the truth. And those truths are who we are in Christ. Who does Jesus say that I am in Him? The truth of His Word. What does His Word say is allowable? What does His Word say is not allowable? What does His Word say about me? What does His Word say about God? What does His Word say about the devil? And what happens is truth dissolves lies. I can remember like yesterday, how many times my mom would say, are you sure you're telling me the truth? Are you sure you're telling me the truth? You know, and and that was just her forbearance, her, you know, her graciousness toward me because she knew I was lying like a dog because I didn't want to get in trouble. But you know what would happen? The minute the truth came out, all the lies were dissolved. And so truth smashes barriers truth breaks away change truth restores hope truth helps us to win the battle and when we win that battle of truth you know what there is it's freedom it's freedom i wonder so many times why we fight to to deceive and to tell lies because man it's so much easier to just tell the truth Y'all could probably all tell stories because once you lie, you've got to tell another lie and another lie and another lie and it just blossoms from there. But when we win this battle of truth, there is freedom. Now, on the bad end of the scale, we looked at the more and more ground we surrender to the enemy, the more we are bound up, we're burdened and we're trapped. But the good side of that is the more ground we begin to take back, the freer we become. And freedom is contagious. You see, one stronghold gets torn down and you get freer and you begin to get more encouragement and you're longing for more. You begin to gain momentum in the battle. Your confidence is strengthened. Your dependence on Christ is built up. I wonder many times, a lot of times, you know, what what's holding me back? And you maybe wonder what's holding you back. And and I wonder even more, you know, what, what is it that's holding us back as as a church? What is keeping us from achieving the fullest potential of what God has for us? To walk in freedom and to walk in victory. Well, I may not know the specifics for you particularly. I can say in general that it's strongholds, it's bondage to sin. Some folks it could be, you know, alcohol or some sort of substance abuse usage. And you may not say, you know, I'm, it's not, you know, I'm, I'm not an alcoholic and I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm not a druggie, but there is an element where it, it has control in your life. some of us, it may just be other unhealthy habits. We know what we're supposed to do, but we just don't do it. I know I shouldn't eat that or do that, but I do it anyway. For some, it could be a struggle with pornography, sexual sins, anger, pride, fear, and a whole host of other Things. Things that we know are there. Things that many times we think, well, they need to go, but we don't do anything about. And we look at them and we think, oh gosh, there's nothing I can do about them. Look how high the walls are. Look how thick they are. There's no way that it'll ever be any different. Because somewhere along the way, there's a lie that we've believed that is true. And we either accept that it's unchangeable when it's not, or we just really don't want to change. Here is the truth. You can experience victory in Jesus. Let me say that again. You can experience victory in Jesus. It may be hard fought. It may take time. It may come in an instant. But you can experience victory in Jesus and you can start today. Things don't have to stay the same. It's time for walls to start coming down. And so as we close, you're going to see a fourth point come up there. I want to walk you through something. Um, It's going to involve your participation if you're willing. If not, it's just going to involve you sitting there. Um, But just I want to give you just a small taste and I'm not an expert on this. I guarantee you there are many people that I would put as better qualified. Probably a lot of you are sitting here right now. But here are just a few things that you can begin to put in practice to begin to tear down strongholds in your life. And let me remind you, this is something that Mark Bubek says. He wrote a book called The Adversary. And he says, don't fall into the trap of convincing yourself you are defeated. You see, the Bible says that in Christ we're more than conquerors. And the enemy, the devil, loves to lie to us and deceive us to think that we are defeated. But we're more than conquerors. So let me just give you a few things to remember before we walk through this process. Remember, first of all, God is in control. You're not in control. The devil's not in control. God is in control. Remember who you are in Christ. A good place to start is the book of Ephesians. But all of those things that tell us what we have in Christ. Remember that Jesus won the victory over your sin, over your strongholds by his death and resurrection. So the victory is won. And we fight from victory, not for victory. Prayer is essential. Why is it essential? Because that's how you and I communicate with God. If you don't want to use the word prayer, just say talk to God. Talking to God is essential. You can't do this without communicating with God. And then you have to have a desire to be set free. And if you're sitting there right now, if you're listening right now, and that desire is just not there, then your starting spot is to ask God for that desire. God, help me desire to be set free, because right now I don't want to, and I really, really like the way I am. So what does the process look like? They're all going to start with R, so hopefully this will be helpful. And I want you to do this on. If you need to jot down notes, do this. But this is this is time for you to allow God to begin working in your life. The first thing is that, to do is to recognize the lie that you believed. Now, some of us may be so mixed up that we can't tell what's true and what's a lie. Well, here's the good news. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will reveal it. It's His job to reveal truth, to bring out sin. And those lies could be lies that maybe you've believed about God. He doesn't love me. God doesn't want what's good for me. God's you know, punishing me. Lies about yourself. I'll always be this way. I'll never change. Or lies about how God sees you. Lies that you have believed that are replayed over and over and over in your mind. And we take those thoughts captive. And so what I want you to do right now is just, you know, ask God for His help. Ask the Holy Spirit for His help. He is more than willing to to help you recognize lies that you've believed about who God is, how He sees you, and about yourself. And as those things begin to pop into your mind, those lies that you've believed, just reject those lies. And it can be a simple saying, that's not true. God, I believe that's not true. To reject the lies and then choose truth. And as you begin to do that, those voices from the past come in. Some of those voices may even have the reminder of a physical voice from someone that said something or spoken something to you. But to reject those and say, God, I choose truth. And so as we recognize, just do that. Just recognize those, reject them and say, God, I choose your your truth. The second thing that you knew is repent. Recognize the lie. Repent from the sin. And what I'm talking about here is genuine repentance. Because there is a man-made repentance that is just, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry if it gets me out of trouble. But genuine repentance. A repentance like David's repentance over his sin with Bathsheba. Psalm 51, verse 2. Psalm 51 is a great place to go if you want to look at what repentance looks like. But in verse 2 of Psalm 51, this is what he says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment so genuine repentance involves godly sorrow it involves specific naming of your sin kind of a fill in the blank God forgive me I sinned against you when I Forgive me. And what happens is that your victory starts with repentance. Walls start coming down with repentance. Stronghold state built up when we refuse to repent. That when we trust that God's grace is sufficient, when we're willing to take personal responsibility, when we're able to be specific in the action, that we can receive God's forgiveness. So we recognize, we repent, and then we renounce the places you've given up ground in your life. And we said earlier, our our actions, our own actions, give permission for the enemy to work in our lives. And so what you do in this point is, in Jesus' name, you're just renouncing that permission. You're saying the enemy no longer has a place in my life. And it could sound something like this I renounce envy, jealousy, pride. You fill in the blank with what God's saying to you. I renounce giving it a place in my heart and my soul. I renounce the claims that I've given to the enemy through my sin and I reject it in Jesus' name. And to be reminded that you're dead to sin and alive to God. And remember that this battlefield mostly is in your mind. It's wrong thinking. It's exchanging, you know, the truth of God for a lie. And so we need to renounce that. I believe that it was wrong and now I renounce it. But then we replace it with truth. And here are some of the truths you can use, and there are so many more. Replace it with truth that proclaims victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Scriptures that speak about the truth of who you are in Christ. I mentioned Ephesians earlier. Romans 8.37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. Ephesians 1.7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. If you're in doubt of God's willingness to restore you, there's some scriptures that remind you of that. 1 John 1.9. We ought to have it memorized. We ought to have it posted where we can remember it often. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Luke 4, 18 and 19. Jesus quoting Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has proclaimed. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So we replace with truth. Anywhere in here where God speaks to your heart or your individual situation, replace it with truth. And then we rejoice in the Lord. A great verse of rejoicing is John 8, 36. Jesus said this, So if the Son sets you free... You will be free indeed. If He sets you free, you're free. And He wants you to be free. In that rejoicing, thank God for the victory. For the victories you've won and the victories to come. Thank Him for the ground in your life that He has taken back from the enemy. And by faith, proclaim the victory. We're more than conquerors through Him that loves us. And by faith, walk in victory. Don't walk with your head down, walking a defeated life. Lift your eyes to the hills to where your help comes from. Your help comes from the Lord. Be victorious in Christ. Because Jesus died and rose again so that you and I could experience victory. And it starts with taking back surrendered ground. And that victory in Christ is certain. And I'm certain that you can walk in it today. Will you join me as we pray? Father, in in just a moment, the musicians are going to come. And they're going to sing over us. And and God, I'm asking for, for your help and your assistance to begin to help us to break down the strongholds in our life. Lord, that we would see the lies that we believe. We would recognize them. We would reject them. We would repent from our sin, allowing you to forgive us and cleanse us. We would see that the the victory that we have starts with that repentance, that we would renounce places that we've given up ground in our life. We would take back the permissions and we would say to the enemy of no longer a place to work in that area oh that we would fill ourselves with truth we would replace the lies with truth we would proclaim our victory and that we would rejoice in the Lord and Lord I'm asking that you would help us to see that the truth of 1 John 1 9 is so powerful and so freeing if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness because you came to set captives free. And if you set us free, we're free. Really, truly free. And that we can walk in victory today. And that victory starts by just taking back the ground that we surrender. So God, grant us your help. Help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. To hear your voice and to respond. And Lord, for for the person or persons that just makes no sense and maybe they're not even thinking spiritually, Lord, I thank you that your spirit works. And Lord, that the need of every heart and every soul is a relationship with Jesus, with the living, resurrected Christ. And so for those who don't know you today, I pray that today would be a day of salvation. That... Today would be the beginning of freedom as they join in a relationship with you by simple trusting faith. By just calling on you, confessing their sins and placing their trust in you. Oh God, help us to respond to you in a way that would be pleasing to you. And we ask that in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we're going to to sing together. It's an opportunity here in this place to begin doing business with God. It may not finish here, but it sure is a good place to start as the Lord begins to work. We're asking God to help us to recognize those lies. We're going to repent of our sin. We're going to renounce the places we've given the enemy place in our lives. We're going to replace it with the truth and we're going to rejoice in the victory. So I'd ask you to join me in standing as we sing together, trusting the Lord will work in your life. You may do that where you're at. You may do that down front here at the altar. You may do it kneeling or standing. But I trust that as God works, you'll listen and respond. So let's sing together as the Lord works.
1: wonderful infinite. Through all that is good Faithful provider
0: all for worshiping this morning and just say a special thanks to, to Lloyd and to Don. Um, they not only were gentlemen, but also servants this morning. They just stepped right up and and took over um, the doors this morning. So I just give um, thanks to the Lord for their their willingness to serve um, our church this morning. I want to just highlight something that you may want to pick up. There are some blue um, sheets of paper that are on a music stand that are right outside this door and, and basically it's just... Um, there's 20 things. Um, it's taken from a, a book, um, Living Free in Christ, that, that will just help you as you begin to wrap your mind around what it means to believe the truth and to, to tear down strongholds. And so um, there's just 20 scriptures there with a brief um, lead into that. And so there's about, I think there's, well, there's 39 because I have a number of 40 here. So if you um, if you need mine, you can have it. I can make more. But I just encourage you, if you're interested, to pick up one of those. I thank you for, for worshiping this morning. Um, it's good to see regular folks. It's good to see folks that have visited with us um, for the first or for the second or third time. And um, we're going to sing a song together. And when the song begins, um, you're free to go. So Lord bless you.